Hi, this is John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and you're listening to Without Your Head. <laughs> I love a girl who give you head and then let you keep it. <laughs> Oops, she's without her head. <laughs> Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Alan Oppenheimer of J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales, coming Sunday night, May 10th, technically Monday. It's 12.15 a.m. Very cool to have you here. Oh, boy. How am I going to stay up that late? <laughs> well, the, the miracles <laughs> of modern technology, you could DVR it. You could probably watch it on demand eventually. So how did you get involved in the fairy tales? Well, I guess... They either called for me or my agent put me up for it. I don't know. I think we did it about a year ago, and uh, I have no no concept of time anymore. I oh, figured it must have been about four or five years ago, and I found out <laughs> it's in my calendar that I did it uh, in 2019. All right. So when I talked to J.J. last week, he uh, he said that some of the actors – you know, agreed to it, but then once they saw the script, they were like, oh, I don't think I want to be involved in this. Uh, do you remember when you saw the script, what you thought of it? I don't remember what I thought of it. I do know that uh, you all, or J.J. Villard, sent me the link on YouTube, mm-hmm. and I looked at it, and I, I was absolutely enchanted, and I loved it. I think it's so original and clever. And, uh, oh, I think it's a terrific idea and well done. Mm-hmm. Did you know him at all beforehand? Nope. I still don't know him. Oh, okay. So, you know, I guess that happens a lot. If you do voice acting, you might not actually meet a lot of the people you work with. No. But, well, did, did he produce it, direct it, what? I believe he directed it and wrote it, and uh, he did the illustrations. Oh. I, I might not be correct in all those things, but I'm going to give him credit for all Well, that. if he... Yeah, if he if he directed it, I, I assume I'm, I met with him and worked with him. Right. So kudos to the man. He did a hell of a good job. I love what he's done here. Yeah, the artwork's amazing. And, uh, you know, the grim fairy tales are, are pretty dark to begin with. So uh, putting them in I this know that. <laughs> world, it, you know, it's very fitting. They truly are grim. They really are. Yes, they live up to the title. It's not false advertising here. Yes. I got, he got away see. with it by adding a second M to his name. What? <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I got to see the first three episodes, which I don't think uh, you have been in yet, but I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing. No, I think I'm only in that Snow White episode. All right. Who do you play? I assume not Snow White. Well, it's uh, <laughs> um, Mira Max is the main one. I don't know the other. 
I don't remember what the other who the other two are. Yeah. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and when I played it back, I thought, I thought uh, it's pretty funny stuff, you know. And I then I realized, oh, I'd stolen somebody's voice, but I oh. bent it a little so they won't know. <laughs> I hope they don't know. Right. Hopefully they're not <laughs> listening. Yeah. <laughs> no, we all steal from each other and then just bend it a little and make it our own. Right. How do you come up with the voice? Like, uh, do you do you get the chance to see the uh, the character you're going to play before you do the voice? Yeah, it's all based on that. Okay. I look at the drawing of the cell, and then the script, and uh, the two have to blend. I was doing the Sheriff Scuzz. I don't remember the name of the episode of the uh, series. It was the filmation series. And I saw him, and he was kind of roly-poly, and he had a walrus mustache, and he smoked a cigar all the time. So that was, I, I just dropped my voice down into here somewhere. I, I took that off of the name Scuzz, and I put a pencil in my mouth so that I wouldn't be articulating very clearly. I'll show you right now. I'm going to put a pen in my mouth. And so I'm in here like that, <laughs> and of course I can't use my tongue much. You hear the difference in it, the clarity of what I'm saying. Uh-huh. So that's uh, it. It, uh, it just comes to things like that, you know. Yeah. When, when did you like uh, know that was something you were good at? You know, creating voices. Oh, I think uh, way back when I was a kid, uh, um, I used to copy the people I heard on radio. There was no television then, and I was a big fan of Jack Benny, Fred Allen, all those shows and. Uh, Fred Allen used to go visit. Uh, well, let's take a walk down Allen's alley. He said, oh, Senator Claghorn or Minerva Pius or whatever. Uh, Mrs. Nussbaum. So I just, as a kid, I was copying these things. And I always had a pretty good ear. So I was able to imitate fairly well. And uh, then when I came out here to California, I started, I was doing television and theater and, and uh, on-camera commercials. And then I said to my agent, I'd like to, do some voices, some announcing instead of just like, because I'm going to wear out my welcome if I'm on camera all the time. <laughs> and so I started doing uh, announcers on that and then gradually characters. Uh, and uh, I remember I was, oh, what was it? Uh, oh, some uh, uh, bug spray. And I was a, I was a bug, one of those things, you know, I don't remember what it was. Yeah. And then Winchell's Donuts years ago, I was, voice and I I remember the line was oh no not the not the what was it not the lemon not the lemon oh no I know that just started that way and it's uh, it's really ham acting is what it is you know they get paid for it right is that a is that a hard world to like get into like for well I guess you kind of fell into it but it's uh I've interviewed other people and they say like a lot of the same people you know do a lot of the same voices on or not the same voices but do voices on all the shows because it's kind of a a smaller you know um crowd than like some of the other acting that's absolutely true when I started doing it in the uh, 70s there were about 10 of us who had the west coast sewed up and 10 in New York uh, now there's, uh, because people can record at home, it's open to thousands across the country, but there's only probably about the same 10, only different 10 mm-hmm. or 11, whatever, who are doing it on each coast. And, and uh, when you, uh, when you establish yourself as a 
as a viable uh, voiceover commercial actor and you're hired, you don't even read for the advertising agency anymore. They just call you up because they know you can do it. And that's the way it used to be. And I'm sure that's the way it is now. My time has passed. I had great years in the 70s, 80s. And uh, then I left and went to New York to do a Broadway musical for three years. So when I came back, uh, I had been replaced by some other people. So I really am retired from that, except an occasional. But uh, not like it was. I've worked every day in those days. So I had my time, and I had a good 20 years at it. And there mm-hmm. are people now who are doing it, and they'll have a good 20 or 30 years at it. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of ladies I know who have been doing it for, uh, oh, 30 or 40 years, and they're wonderful. Mm. They're absolutely marvelous. Yeah. Uh, Marshall, I, Tress McNeil. Hmm? I was no, going to say. I just threw out a couple of names. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is it a competitive uh, group of people, or is it since it is like yeah. uh, about like 10 or 12 of you, you get along, or I don't know how that works. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It's not the same competition that there is when you're up for a movie or TV show where it's make or break. You know, I got to get this show, got to get this show. Uh, no, in voice, uh, if you don't get the job today, there's an opportunity to, tomorrow, the day after. The, the auditions or the calls just keep coming in because you're part of that uh, working group. And that's the way it, it was. That's the way it always is. Even uh, in movies, if you're in in a hit movie, they want you for another hit movie or another movie. You may have a small part, but it's a hit movie, and uh, so oh yeah, oh we gotta get to, we gotta get him, you know. Mm-hmm. So it it never it's never changed. It's been that way since the 1930s. Yeah, you joked earlier about you know stealing the voice of a, of another actor, another character. Um, when you're doing like yeah. so many over the years, uh, do they blend together sometimes? No, but I can forget what I did. Right, so, right. Uh, if they call me in on something that I I did even last year, I ask them to do a playback of that episode. Ah, I say, oh, that's the voice I used. Okay, they're yeah. good. Now, Larry Storch, I don't know if you know the name Larry Storch. Yeah. But Larry was a, a great stand-up comic and, and actor, and he was also on uh, F Troop. Very, very clever guy. And he did, oh, I don't know, God, he could do a hundred voices. And I remember one time I was standing, I, w- I was with Cunningham Escott Tapini, who I'm still with since 1974, my God. Anyway, and uh, Larry was there too. And uh, uh, the agent said, do you do so-and-so? They want to know. And he said, he pulled a slip of paper out of his pocket and he had listed all the voices that he did. He said, I don't know, I have to call my wife. And he called her, I forget her name now, she said, yes, Larry, you do that voice. Yes, you do so-and-so. So he said, yeah, I do it. My wife says I do it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes we don't remember what we did, you know. Right, right. So I ask him, well, have you got an episode where I did that? Play it for me. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, no, I yeah. Oh, yes, I got it. Yeah. Yeah, then it comes back to you. Now, I grew up a big uh, He-Man Masters of the Universe fan. I actually have some. Uh, I actually have a skeleton <laughs> right here in front of me. I'm not making that up. Uh, so that's one of your memorable roles, Skeletor. Uh, well, how did you come up? Because Skeletor's voice is very peculiar in, in, in the He-Man cartoon. Like, uh, how did you come upon the decision to play Skeletor that way? Well, they showed me a picture, a cell of him, and I saw the bony head. So 
I immediately made a nasal, you know, a nail. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, so I was doing it, and it was a nasty guy. Uh, so the first couple of episodes, there wasn't any comedy in it. And I don't know how it happened, but probably John Irwin, who plays He-Man, uh, he and I started uh, uh, rapping or, you know, just throwing lines back and forth and ad-libbing. And I I threw out some funny stuff, and Lou said from the booth, oh, keep that, keep that in, do that, do that, <laughs> do that. So then they began writing comedy insults for me, and uh, I, I changed lines sometimes to make them uh, a nasty, fun, nasty, always fun, nasty, never any other way. Right. And uh, and um, some of them are rather famous now, you know, like uh, m- one of my favorites is, I could write a book about what you don't know. <laughs> Love that one. Uh-huh. And Skeletor to King Randor, come in, you royal boob. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. No <clears throat> so people love that. And when I go to a Comic-Con convention, sometimes they'll ask me to write that in along with my <laughs> signature, you know. Uh-huh. To Fred, you royal boob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, when, I met, when I mentioned you were coming on, some of my uh, uh, friends on Facebook, uh, they mentioned that they met you at Mad Monster Party, a horror movie convention, and that you were... Uh, you would record stuff for them, like voice stuff. And now they want to know, do you still do that, like somewhere online? Could they I contact do. you? Okay. I, I did. As a matter of fact, I did one last week for uh, a lady. It was a surprise. Uh, 40th birthday in Australia. Her husband contacted my agent and said, could I wish her a happy birthday as the rock biter? <laughs> so I did that, and I loved doing it. I recorded it and sent it to my agent and they emailed it to Australia and they loved it. Mm-hmm. And at the convention, very often somebody will come up to the table because I, I let them know that I'll do a voicemail for them. So if uh, somebody calls Neil and it <laughs> says is, well, he's a, uh, he's a, he's a plumber or uh, mm-hmm. well, I used that one earlier. So let's say, uh, uh, he's, uh, Oh, he's a, he's a, a, a stockbroker. Okay. So I would say, well, Neil isn't here right now. No, no, he's, you know, he's out selling stocks. <laughs> Don't buy anything from him, you sucker. <laughs> well, they love that. Uh-huh. And he would love it. The Neil in my story would love it. He loved right. it. And so were the people who called up, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. The Neil right here loved oh, I it, like, too. I but... like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did that years ago for the BBC, vice president of BBC. I'd done some job for them, and they said, could you call up our vice president and, uh, as Skeletor? So <laughs> I called, the number he gave me in London, and I got his, his voicemail, you know. So I said, uh, I don't know what his name was. Let's say his name was uh, Percy, you know. I said, so, so Percy isn't here right now, huh? Well, <laughs> I suppose he's out having a double martini on the public dole. <laughs> well, he came back. He loved that. He probably kept it on there for years. <laughs> I don't blame the man. I, 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 uh, I applaud Percy for, for doing the same. Well, <laughs> Neil, if you, want me to, if you want me to leave an insult on your phone, just call me and let me know. I will do that. I will do that. You don't have to tell me twice. All right. 
Uh, I'll be bugging you a lot now, but yeah. <laughs> right. You're like, again? <laughs> Every day now, Neil, you can leave me alone. But the uh, <laughs> uh, J.J. Ballard's Fairy Tales is coming this Sunday night. This is the, uh, the first one, and then every week after that. And I got to see the first three episodes, and they're crazy. They're very fun. Uh, they're right up my alley, and I think people are going to really dig them. Well, I saw the original one. Snow White, mm-hmm. and I thought it was terrific, absolutely marvelous, very clever, very clever. Yeah, I think because uh, a lot's being said about how like you know gross it is, but it's also very clever, like you said. There, it's it's. I think it, there's a little bit there for everybody. If you're a child at heart, it like was myself. gross. I sure. If who's gross, I sure missed that. <laughs> <laughs> it shows how far I've descended. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. Uh, I'm nasty, Neil, so I probably fit. I fit in that category as well. Good for you. Okay. Right. Well, I appreciate you doing this. It's been a lot of fun. <clears throat> My pleasure. My pleasure. Good luck to you. Thank you. You as well. Take care in this Stay weird healthy, time we're living. Thank you. You as well. Yeah, that's right. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Thank you. you bet. Thanks. All Take right. care. Thank you. Thanks for the Thank opportunity, Neil. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. we should have listened. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. How you doing? This is Lance Hendrickson, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. Oh, welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Sarah Bolger of A Good Woman is Hard to Find. It's very good to have you here. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yes. Uh, for people not aware, can you give them an idea of what the movie's about? So the movie's called uh, A Good Woman is Hard to Find, and uh, I guess one could say it's probably veering more towards a psychological thriller. It's about a, a young mother who, uh, sort of at the beginning, like page zero of the movie, uh, loses her husband in a, um, in a sort of mm, suspicious manner. And uh, she goes to great lengths and uh, <laughs> great lengths, if, you, if anyone has seen yes. the poster, to, uh, to figure out sort of all that's happened and uh, whilst dealing with some some very interesting people and a socioeconomic background that is just not helping her out in any way, uh, shape or form with two young, small children. It's a, it's a ride. Yeah. Well, when I talked to Abner, he said that um, he had you in mind when he read the script. Uh, what interested you in the role, Sarah? Uh, God, you know, I've been attached to this movie since April of 2016, which feels like a very long time ago. Uh, uh, I have championed this forever. I genuinely thought uh, the character's name is Sarah that I play, so um, mm-hmm. I, that was easy to remember on set. Uh, <laughs> That's why you took the I role. Myself, <laughs> that's the only, the only reason I took the role. <laughs> it was just easy memory. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I found myself 
really wanting to, uh, I, I guess, spend a lot of scripts still for sort of like college years. Mm. And what was so fascinating about this is that I got to jump in, in sort of age. I got to be a mother of two young children. Uh, I got to uh, be in a background that, uh, you know, very working class. It was like a, you know, sort of a council estate in, um, it's sort of set England or Northern Ireland. It's, it's unclear where, where we uh, set the movie. But just to be able to see her struggle, see her provide for her kids, see how she deals with scenarios that are so unfair, that are so torturous, that are so cruel, and uh, see how she sort of like rises, not only to, to somewhat of a superhero, like what I like to describe this movie as, as the like beginning tale of her, of her, uh, of her superhero story. Like if the, the, the origin trail, I see which, that. Yeah. Yeah. They are exactly the origin story of, of, uh, of Sarah, the superhero. Uh, it's, it's something a little bit along the lines of that for me. Yeah. Um, to play like the, the different ends of the, the character arc of Sarah, is, is that something that's hard to, to do, you know, as an actor? Because you know, such different uh, from the beginning to the end of the movie. Do you say that? Oh yes, of course. Well, she does. She does a she does a one eighty. She is she goes from being somewhat meek and mild and protected to feeling like she needs to protect, feeling lost, feeling vulnerable, and uh, and changing fundamentally sort of who she is and how she reacts to things and how she deals with people. She becomes fierce. She becomes someone who I would who I deign to be like, I think, mm-hmm. uh, she's an extremely powerful person. Yeah. Is that hard to keep that believable to play both ends of the character since they're so different? Absolutely. I think it's the circumstance that she's put in that gives her the credibility to, to go to the places she needs to go to. You, you see her being forced out the door. You don't see that she, you know, she doesn't pick up a sword and start wielding it nonsensically. Right. She is doing something because she's literally, it's like gun to the back of her head. She has no choice but to, to take steps that put her in very dangerous and very unique scenarios. And she, she rises to the challenge. And it's not because she's a superhero. It's because she has to. There is no other choice. It is do or die. And that's, that's sort of, that's our girl. Yeah. Like you said there, she doesn't just like pick up a sword and she starts fighting. Uh, it's not like a switch. You doesn't go one to the other. So it, is that, I would think like the middle of that would be hard as an actor to, uh, cause you don't just go from, from the meek victim to all of a sudden superhero, but to, to play the character in the arc would, would be hard. Yes. That center part is a, is a, like a finesse act. But as people will see in the movie, there's a moment where you can understand why someone would break. And if we can use that, uh, and what I ended up doing with the character is seeing, rather than a turning point, a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you and, have any? Uh, I'm and sorry. Yeah. Did you have any inspiration? Did you have any inspirations? Uh, how you were going to play Sarah? Uh, I, I had a very long time to figure it out. If I'm if I'm being honest, <laughs> right? There since was, your, uh, 2016. I, I, guess. I remember reading. Exactly. And I had done a lot of work at the time, uh, a lot of research on, uh, I had done a show, I'd done a pilot call for the, for the, for the Mayans MC back there before I filmed this movie. And I had to do a lot of research on the cartel and what came up in the cartel are people who are dragged into the cartel. 
just by, you know, by way of unfortunate circumstances and people whose children are taken from them and women whose husbands are taken from them. And there was a lot of crossover for me in, in sort of like learning about what happens to someone when they are put in a situation that is not their choice, is not their preference, and mm-hmm. they'll die if they don't try to survive it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Does that come up often? Like uh, maybe you'd be researching a role for something else, and then you find, you know, something that you could uh, use again on a different role? Oh, I think so. I mean, this was pure happenstance just by the by the, the sort of the clash of the two projects, and mm-hmm. I, it, fortunately. But I do think that all the time. Like I read books, and sometimes I'm reading a story, you know, about a 40-odd-something-year-old divorced, divorced gentleman, and, and I'm taking something from it. I think you're always learning as an actor and I feel like you can, you know, sort of pickpocket from other wonderful artists and uh, writers and movies and TV shows and sort of collect, uh, collect characteristics and traits and kind of unique reactions to unique, more unique circumstances. Mm -hmm. What's the vibe on the set when you're filming something like a violent scene or a graphic scene? Uh, I'll tell you, there, there was a scene that, again, is the poster, so I'm not giving anything away, where <laughs> right. she's drenched in blood. And I'll, and I'll uh-huh. tell you, you just have to laugh, because I will certainly cry if you don't. Myself and Abner, the wonderful director, we had a blast that day on set, just because if we took it too seriously, if you, if you allowed yourself remain in that like terrified, um, frozen, rigid state, you you wouldn't be able to get get home that night. You wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't make it. Yeah, and um, when you saw that that scene after it's filmed and it's edited and it's they have the sound, uh, what did you think? Because there's the sound in that scene adds a lot to it. It really made, uh, I Like I said, you don't want to give away, but there's some uh, song through bone and the and the sound is very uh, cringy. Yes, I think I because what we wanted to make sure that was very. Uh, prominent in the scene is how difficult this is. It is not yeah. an easy thing to do. It's not with magic. It's not, it, it is a harder thing to do than one could ever imagine. And the brutality of it, the sounds, the tears, the, the, the all, <laughs> all the Foley artists, additional sound later, I think makes for like the most genuine experience you can have with that kind of scene. Making yeah. it, it wholly uncomfortable. Yeah. And it deals with something where, um, you know, we see violence in a lot of movies, but you don't always see the aftermath of that violence. Like, uh, uh, what do you what do you have to do then afterwards to, to get rid of uh, yes. the evidence or whatever well, you've like, done, you know? When, like, it's a dark day when I have to Google, like, how to disarticulate a body. It's a dark <laughs> right. day for my You might end my, up on some kind of list somewhere or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I have. I'm googling cartel, drug, <laughs> drug dealing, and uh, and disarticulating limbs. I'm absolutely on a watch list. But there is there is a dark day when you're researching that, and you genuinely do realize that this is especially with the tools she has from from you know like a, a nearby grocery store, hardware store, is um it is a feat that she's able to do it and the task. Yeah. So um. When you saw the, did you go to the festivals when it had the festival run? Uh, I unfortunately was filming season two of mine, so I actually was unable to go to. Uh, I I did lots of sort of uh, phone interviews and video interviews, mm-hmm. but I didn't. Abner was the one who had to who who did the the world tour with us. I unfortunately was um, was uh, was in work. 
Yeah. But well, I guess uh, what's the feedback then been like um, from the from interviews you did and, and just the reviews you've seen? I mean, it's just I mean, I guess what's overwhelming is when you do something so long ago and you you finish it. I, we finished it there just before, I think, 2018. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of your brain, you know, forgets. You forget. You forget the long days. You forget. Um, you forget well, how much fun it was. You for, you forget little things. And having some people speak so wonderfully about this movie makes me remember the really wonderful times and how an absolute joy it was to make this film. And it's a lovely thing to be able to relive with people in a way. And uh, mm-hmm. it's been overwhelming, really, to to hear the the beautiful comments and. Uh, I mean, I'm just really proud of it, and I'm sort of overjoyed mm-hmm. that people are loving it as much as we hoped they would. Yeah, and uh, this on May 8th, that's going to be part of the uh, film movement's virtual cinema. And uh, so, I guess just yes. um, the the current pandemic, how has that affected your life as an actor? Well, okay, so we were meant to start filming the third season of Mayans uh, mm-hmm. there, I guess April-ish, and obviously now that's postponed until further notice. Which is it's so wild, you know. It's 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 a. I know everyone's in the same boat, and mm-hmm. uh, pretty much every industry has been affected by it. But you know, this film was about to come out, and we would obviously be doing a press tour with it and premieres and all that and all those sort of normal things. And uh, now everything is being done uh, from the comfort of my couch. So I guess <laughs> it, my situation could be way worse. But I'm just glad to, <laughs> right. to see this movie. Uh, I'm excited to get back to work. And uh, I'm glad everyone's you know staying safe. Yeah, yeah. I actually interviewed uh, Emilio Rivera recently from um, from the Mayans, and uh, just um, oh, yeah. I think it I think it's a, like the golden age of series. There's so many great series out there. Uh, what is like the rise of the series and platforms? Uh, how has that helped you as an actor? Oh, exponentially! It, the amount of people who watch Mayans MC is is is, is like overwhelming. It's, I've never, I don't think I've ever been recognized more in my life. And, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to have, you know, a sequel of a show, uh, be as successful. Uh, I think that's, that's a rarity. And, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all, we all have so much fun on that show. And I get to play such an interesting sort of, you know, mob wife for, for once a better term. And it's just wild and fun, and she's not like me at all, and she's so ballsy. She's nothing like Sarah either from A Good Woman is Hard mm-hmm. to Find. So I just get I get great joy out of just being all these different different and wonderful, powerful women. Yeah. Are you like are you anything like Sarah from A Good Woman is Hard to Find? Yeah, we just share the name, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well that's probably a good thing. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting in the movie that um your character you really uses the fact that a lot of the people, pretty much everyone in the movie looks down on her to kind of hide from what she's up to. Yeah. I mean, it is a cloak of invisibility, isn't it? She has, she is ignored by society. She thinks, uh, people think her husband was a drug dealer. They essentially sort of wipe her from the slate. She can't get help from the police. She can't get help from her uh, community. She's been cast aside to some degree and it is not her husband's fault. It's not her fault. Uh, And she is, she is just being put in such an unusual and awkward scenario that you totally understand her growth and you understand where she has to go and you get why she's doing it. She has two small kids and she can't be 
she can't see anyone's, um, I guess she can't allow herself be beat upon by any person and seem weak or vulnerable because it would just happen over and over and over. Yeah. Uh, now, um, this the first time you worked with Abner, uh, Pastol, I believe? Yes, yes, first time. Hopefully not last, first time. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Would you like to work with him again? No, he's so wonderful. We had the most collaborative, amazing time on this. I mean, as I said, we had a we had a solid 18 months prior to prior to actually filming. So we had we knew exactly what we were doing on the day. We had talked so many times on Skype. We had like we really had finessed it to a point where I don't, you know, I, we we essentially did everything in like two takes. Because we just knew we had so much time to build upon this that we knew exactly what it sort of wanted to look like, what, how Sarah wanted to feel. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only new component was I I met the, I met the, my, my children for the first time (laughs) three days before filming. And uh, (laughs) I remember that was so wild. I was looking at those, you know, these two beautiful children and one of them almost 10 I'm like, oh my goodness. So what? I had this kid when I was like 17. (laughs) (laughs) That's possible. It's possible. Yeah. And by the way, for people <laughs> oh listening, totally you, you, yeah, you may, you mean the, the kid, the, the, your, uh, children in the, in the, sh- in the movie, not your actual children, just so yeah. people are, 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 Oh, pardon me. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I have children. Sarah, the guy has two, two, two babies in the movie. And, uh, my Sarah Bulger has no children. All right. Well, I thought a, a good woman, hard to find excellent movie. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. And not just because oh, you're here. So I hope uh, people uh, check out. <laughs> of course. Sure. Thank you very much. Honestly, I, I love this film. I think uh, I think it's really special. And we worked insanely hard uh, to make it what it is today. And uh, I'm really, really excited for people to see it. Very good. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Of course. Anytime. Thank you so much for talking to me. Right. Very good. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Horror Pack is the most exciting way to grow your collection. Get four horror movies on Blu-ray or DVD each month. Special delivery. Subscribe now and soon Horror Pack will be arriving at your door. Join the pack. HorrorPack.com Join the pack. This is Emma Dark, director of Season Night and Salient Minus 10, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Nikolai Cornum, producer and director of the Isolation Horrors, and it's very cool to talk with you. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah. So can you give people an idea of what this is, the Isolation Horrors? Yes, well, it's um, basically um, five filmmakers, all based in London, or we all know each other, who were sitting alone at home, as everyone is at the moment, and and, and going back to this need to create um, with whatever you have. And uh, then I came up with the idea of let's do, uh, let's bring horror into because we're all interested in horror, and then let's make an anthology where everyone the four of us, gets an opportunity to do whatever they want um, in the genre with some parameters we set down. And then let's see if we can bring that together into something um, which became this little 25 minutes, I think it is, um, the isolation horrors, with the only purpose really was 
let's us let us have fun ourselves and then let's just share it online for everyone to see no no other idea uh, once it was done other than to show people and uh, see enjoy this while you are sitting at home isolated and yeah. have fun yeah and out of that came very diverse very different ideas which i really like i like the fact that no one was we're not trying to connect the five mm-hmm. different stories except my part which is the overall thing that's sort of uh, setting it all up and, and and tying it up in the end um but some shot in black and white some did very filmic things some did very video thing whatever people came up with i don't really really i think that's a, 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 a um merit of him so yeah that's the isolation of horrors yeah i really liked it and i like i love what you just said there about because everyone's stuck at home so mm-hmm. i think it's important to still create stuff uh for, for the creators and it gives people something to do because uh a lot, yeah. like horror fans like myself uh, we can all watch and, and have fun and i'm glad that you put it out online you know you didn't you know yeah I mean, it's cool if you sold it or whatever but right now people need stuff to watch yeah I think that's true, and I think I think it's important when when you are passionate about filmmakers, which we all are. It's like we can't help ourselves; we just want to do it, and and to just get it done, get it out there, and then move on to the next project. Then the next one, if we ever do something together again, then we can put it at festivals and and get payment for for people viewing right. it. But for this one, just like let's just have fun, do it, put it out there, let people see it, and it was literally like. Can we shoot it now and put it out next week? It took a little bit longer, but it was that yeah. kind of thing. Like, don't put too much thought in it. Don't don't do too much about it. Be instinctive with what you have at yeah. the moment. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the the five directors, uh, did you all work together beforehand? Like, how how did you know each other? Yeah, I mean, I was it was me sitting at home thinking. Uh, of this idea about God, I want to make something, but then it's just me making something. It'd be nice, yeah, to do it together in that way, and in that parameters that we don't have to meet or anything. We can, we it can still work. And then I was thinking, who can I bring in? And um, and it was basically all given, yeah. Um, Emma uh, Dark and Martin Daniels or M W Daniels um, and John Whitaker and Richard Marksworth, we all worked on each other's film somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hired to, to film and, and edit a film for John Whitaker, who cast Emma Dark in it. That's the first time I met her. And then Martin Daniels was also involved in that film, and he hired her to work on one of his films that I was filming uh, and editing. And one of the guys who was acting then, which is then my... Uh, Richard Marksworth uh, hired me to do a film for him, um, uh, where I filmed it, it for him. Um, yeah, so it was all a mixture. Um, we all worked together, um, or worked together on other people's films or on their films. Um, so it was also not just me reaching out to people I knew that didn't know each other. We all knew each other. Everyone knew who I was talking about, uh, and everyone has the similar. Um, fascination and interest in uh, horror films, which was like, yes, those are the people we should do it with. And um, everyone just said instantly, said, yes, let's do it. Yeah. And everyone, well, actually, when I, when, I, when I pitched the idea to them, they were like, 
So that that's a good part though about um you know when you work on other people's stuff because then you build re- uh, working relationships with people and you like I even see that in my own community a lot of the local Boston filmmakers will work on each other's stuff and then uh, yeah uh, you know that's how you get to know people and you get you get a bigger crowd of people you can work with. Definitely, I, f- I think one of the most important things is yeah networking um, the. Um, uh, going to festivals, going to premieres, hanging out, all those things. Um, where I come, I'm from Denmark, where I come from, um, when you were, um, had your unemployment insurance and you're working in the film business, considering going to a premiere or going to a social event for film workers was considering applying for a job. And I think that was such a good thing because that is what it is. That's where you meet people who hire you uh, and you end up working with. Mm-hmm. So that's... Yeah, I agree. Even myself, uh, I was doing the festivals for press for the show. And then last year, I ended up making a uh, short with uh, filmmakers I met at uh, at festivals. And then uh, we made a feature, which I don't know how it's ever going to come out at the moment. But but still, it was, it was very cool. You know, like City what did you do, What did you do in on it? Um, this was in uh, December before everything uh uh, yeah, we went so we could actually film it, but but it's being edited right now, so I'm not sure yeah. you know how it'll actually be released. Because mm. our plan was, are, 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 are you directing or? Oh, or? I in in the when we did in December, I was um, in it, and um, yeah. <clears throat> I did the beat behind the scenes footage, and then we did uh, one in February, which the two are connected. That one I was yeah. I, I produced and uh, yeah. co-created the idea. Cool. But yes, it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, last week, um, I, I put together an online uh, film festival with a similar idea. Was oh wow uh, to uh, get people to watch stuff and filmmakers to have their stuff watched, and it had a way bigger turnout than I expected. Uh, and everyone had such a good time, and the filmmakers and, and the viewers, you both were really happy because uh, they got stuff seen by an audience that might not have seen it otherwise. Yeah. And, We'll get to see cool, cool horror shorts that they, you know, might not have seen otherwise. It was a good time. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Have you done that before? That's the first time. No, that was the first time I did it because of uh, the pandemic, and I thought it would be something fun for yeah the yeah. community to do. And it had a nice community aspect because I did it, a watch party on Facebook, so everyone was there, and there was a lot of interaction. So it was, you know, similar mm. to a uh, to a festival because you know everyone yeah. was there together. And yeah. uh, it's, it went really well. I'm going to do another one in uh, in July. So yeah, maybe we'll that's have a, that's uh, a good idea. Yeah. I, I think after after this lockdown and uh, self isolation has ended, I think people can realize how how much um, interaction you can actually have online. Yes, um, like non filmic, uh, uh, but uh, companies who are having online meetings and stuff. They just realize they can do that in the future as well. <laughs> that can be more right. effective. Yeah, because so, I, I think the internet yeah, yeah. a lot of times get a gets a bad rap, and sometimes, yeah, does, yeah. Uh, sometimes rightfully so. But uh, mm-hmm. but there is a there's a you know if we didn't have it right now, imagine how bored we'd be, and a lot of people would be very depressed. Yeah. But oh, now God, you know yeah. you can stay connected to people, and there's a to me yeah. a big part is a community aspect. You know, for me, like yeah. like yourself, fellow horror fans, and or just people who like movies, and you can interact. And uh, yeah. you know, without that, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. No, and I think I, I talk to more people further away from me um, 
during this period than I usually do. Uh, not not only like family back home in another country, but just communicating with people um, that is far away. Now suddenly you have Zoom calls and meetings and, and uh, gatherings with drinks and stuff online, which we didn't do before, which we could have done, like old school friends, yeah. stuff, which you could have done. Um, but you, 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 yeah, suddenly you feel you can do it. Yeah. yeah. Makes you appreciate but the whole the, thing is all that yeah. more too. Yeah, but the whole thing afterwards. Well, I, well, one thing I was concerned about is that there would be no audience after the pandemic has yeah. gone away. That people were afraid of going out and gathering to see something. So maybe mm -hmm. it's going to be an online thing more. Yeah, I, yeah, I, it's weird because um, I think about that too. Because I think there's definitely going to be people that aren't going to want to go to the festivals right away or even to movie theaters yeah. and then there's also going to be people who've been dying to go so they're going to want to go so i'm not sure how yeah. that'll, but i still think it'll be a while like as soon as start things start to open i don't think it's just going to be everyone just goes back to normal nor, nor really should it be no 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 i don't think so so yeah it'll be interesting it's a weird time it'll be interesting to see yeah how it goes yeah. so uh you did you were you the one that um Edited, edited the whole thing together like you took everyone's shorts and, and put your wrap around it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we ended up to be um, uh, four out of the five I did, um, for the editing. But I really wanted it to, to have equal um, mm -hmm. measures to begin with. So we set down this parameter saying shoot on your phone. So it was like non-professional cameras uh, and we're going to act in it ourselves or whoever you're with in your family uh, uh, when you're in isolation. Like Martin Daniels or the N.W. Daniels filmed his father, which I think was a genius mm -hmm. idea. Um, so uh, you couldn't bring in professional actors from outside. You couldn't hire a camera to shoot on or anything, which I really liked. Um, and then, uh, so it all had the same feel to it. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, John Whittaker edited his own and then I helped a bit with the editing um, and then Richard and uh, Martin didn't have the um, uh, facilities to edit so I edited those but basically I mean Martin Daniels I keep calling him Martin Daniels but he's really known as M.W. Daniels today yeah. Yeah. Um, he basically sent me few shots that was exactly what he wanted so I basically just had to assemble them on his timeline and right. they were just there um, and then Emma uh, Dog made her film herself complete with color grading, with editing, with sound and everything. Mm -hmm. And then then they interacted as well, which had nothing to do with me. I was sort of like pulling the threads and, and uh, talking to everyone. And the first thing was to make sure that they're not making the same stories or they all pitched me their ideas, um, which was great and no problem there. And um, But then... M.W. Daniels made music for Emma's film um, and John Whittaker made music for my film and so on. So there was like this interaction between them which I had nothing to do with. It was great. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, then I, I mean, basically it was Emma who, se who sent the final film and then the others came and then I basically finished it all off into the final 25 minutes of... Mm -hmm five films yeah yeah that's really cool and uh it's weird how much you can do with the phone now it is and uh but still the phones are so different qualities 
Um, even when you say today, shoot on the phone. Yeah, some has like 4K, some have uh, less than an HD, you know. Um, but the fact that you have it, I mean, you don't. You basically just need a frame today to do something. What, what, what? Personally, I don't know about the others, but personally, what I missed. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, and I, I also try to um, take advantage of what the phone is, uh, like doing handheld and. Um, moving the phone around, which is so easy to do and stuff. Uh, but what I really miss is the, that you can't attach lenses to it. You can't do um, mm. use long lenses and, and do close up like that. You basically have to put the the phone up in the face. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> right. Which um, was an in- interesting experiment. But that I think that is the the one thing I miss about phones. But it's probably gonna come. It's gonna come, and you can attach Canon lenses to phones and stuff. I'm right. Sure at some point. <clears throat> probably uh, it, right now might make that um, more of a priority because, uh, like you said, people are at home yeah. with with their phones. So maybe uh, right now someone will be like, "Hey, we really if they if other people you know do similar things, it's like, oh, we gotta start making some uh, different lenses. I wonder if you could even do that with an app or. Uh, yeah, because when you use a lens, it becomes optical, and that's uh-huh. diff- different. If you use an app, I mean, there's lots of things you can do digital, which right, is what you can an just app do. That. do. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can and you can zoom in digitally, but that, yeah. yeah, and then it becomes more grainy, and it doesn't have the same depth of field and stuff. Yeah. Um, what What is but, your background in filmmaking? Like, uh, when was this something you wanted to do? Um, well, um, I. F- think that my first um, interest in films came from watching Twin Peaks on TV in the early 90s. Um, that's that's what, like, whoa, uh, made me interested um, in the thing. Um, and then, uh, then I pursued a career in it, and I uh, ended up doing uh, first AD on, on films um, and TV dramas and commercials and stuff which i did for eight years and stuff which was you didn't know it when you were in it because you're so diff, you're so well you start by being third ad and second ad and then you became first assistant director and then you you, you work towards doing the best you can and, and fulfilling your job and you don't really realize how much you actually learn of being on the film set learn about lighting uh, because it's very much about logistics and um, scheduling and what is needed to make a film. Uh, and and you are the, as a first idea, you're the one who say who's trying to solve how can you lo- how can you make this scene within 25 minutes? Well, you can do it like this, or something can come with ideas because you suddenly know have an idea about what is needed to make a film. Um, and I didn't really realize that until after I stopped doing it at some point when I I, I didn't feel like I could advance in the field. Um, and suddenly I realized I knew a lot about um, framing and lighting and storytelling and uh, setups and payoffs and all so forth. Um, and then I um, I actually studied theater uh, lighting for a bit. Um, and I, I think that can really be seen in my stuff I make. It's very theatrical uh, lighting and stuff um, and show calling. Um, and then... Um, I um, have a studio where I live. Um, uh, I married a photographer. We have a studio and uh, doing a lot of fashion shoots. And so when you're making fashion uh, fashion shoots, 
magazines and so on would like to have something moving. So I started being the one saying, let's make a little film around this. And suddenly I realized I knew a lot of things. And from that on, it just, there's so many fashion film festivals and new genre things. I did a lot of, uh, and still doing a lot of fashion films, um, uh, which has been on festivals all over the world, which leads to, which is the great thing, to some campaigns, which is where the money is. And then you can hopefully go and do fun things for yourself. Right. Uh, once you have the money, um, yeah, so that brings yeah. us up to today. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because that is similar to a, a lot of my friends in the states who, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, didn't go to film school, but they uh, they learned being on on the sets of other films, and I, I think that's something a lot of people uh, don't think about because you can use that experience, you know, as your film school, being on the set yeah. of a movie. Well, I'm I, oh, sorry, I forgot to say, I actually spent a, a year at European Film College oh, okay. uh, learning about editing and mm-hmm. and directing. It's very much a crap school. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of things you learn by doing it and, and being on the set. Not only, I mean, some people want to be a, a director of photography, but when, when you're on the set, you have an idea about what the other groups are doing um, and especially being a first AD on film sets you learn a lot about because you're suddenly chairing a production meeting with head of departments and you have to have an understanding about what everyone is doing so yes you do learn a lot of things but if you don't take that in um, there's a lot of there's a lot of practical and theoretical things that is essential i think for 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 um i mean making films for an audience um i mean sometimes people pick up a camera uh, without any experience never been on films uh, without having any education um and doesn't know what an act one two and three is um you know um and they start with act two and then they go into act one and then they go into act three and it becomes a bit confusing and um, i think i think one of the be- some of the best film directors are the ones who know the rules and then completely fucks them up you know uh, <laughs> right intentionally yeah. yeah intentionally but mm-hmm. showing the audience i know what i'm doing i know exactly what you i know exactly what the rules are and that's why i'm doing this and uh, and the, the, i mean the worst thing is to watch a, a like a feature film and the first plot point comes within 60 minutes of the film, I'm like, you know, that's supposed to come within 25 minutes, right? Uh, and it, it is like, that's just amateurism instead of someone who's like, no, I know that's the thing, and I'm playing with you. But most of the time, it, it's not like that. Uh, right. But, so yeah, but I, but definitely, it is it is a it is a craftsmanship thing. A, a lot of uh-huh. it, and 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 being on the set is the best education, definitely. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, you know, Twin Peaks. So were you always into horror? No, I wasn't. Um, I, I grew up um, in the 80s when everyone went to see uh, or the Friday the 13th and, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Not the original, the sequels. <laughs> um, and uh, I was so scared of it, the idea of, of doing that. So I didn't dare. And then um, it, it wasn't until later. Um, Twin Peaks scared the hell out of me but fascinated me and i've become more interested in it so probably came after that but it was actually it was actually a lost highway um what, 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 96 i think um it was playing in the cinema for a night film festival event um after midnight 
and uh, me and my friend wanted to go and see it. It was Lynch and all that. And then we said, we're not going to be able to stay awake. Um, and then let's try and go and see the film that is playing the day before. And that was this film with Drew Barrymore, directed by the guy who directed Night on Elm Street. Uh, we hadn't heard about it. It was called Scream or something. And we was like, let's go and see it. And we went in and, and, and sat. Uh, there was two other people in the cinema, I think. And then Drew Barrymore got killed in the beginning. And we were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> we were completely... And it was a preview. No one heard it. In, in where we were, had never heard about it. Yeah. And then all the references to all the 80s horror movies. And we were like, hang on. We've got to go back and watch them. And then it started. And then we went back and watched all the Elm, Elm Street films and Friday the 13th, Halloween and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a treasure here. <laughs> um, and then what, what I really liked about it um, and to this day is horror is so made for cinema. I mean, you can with no money or whatever, you can make a horror atmosphere. Uh, so easily and it hits the audience like you're trying to get the audience to engage with whatever you're doing with, with your film and horror is just made for that it's just so um uh, a good way of of engaging your audience um uh, without with, with limited resources i think yeah so i really really um if if there was one genre that film was made for it's horror i think yeah. So, so when you started to go back and watching all the horror movies, which yeah. were what were some of your favorites? Well, I loved um, Halloween, especially when I've got the final um, uh, widescreen version. You can actually see um, the Steadicam, which was not a Steadicam, it was a Panavision, I think. But um, when they were developing those cameras back then, where you can really see the scope of, of, of what he was doing and the moving camera. Um, and then the sound, of course, and then the simplicity. I, re- I, have such a, I think it's so, um, such a big respect for the filmmakers who make that effect for, for very little money, uh, which I think he did there. Um, and in general, I just really like that, that people that, um, I mean, you see productions where they have loads of money and they spend a lot of money of doing crane shot, and you're like, why do you do a crane shot there? The story doesn't ask for it or whatever. Uh, you could use that money on something else. Uh, Worse is it when you see a low-budget film that spend a lot of money on a crane shot where you don't need it. Um, but I really like those things where it's just effective with for for a little budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that I I love that sound wise and uh, cinematography of of uh, and the simplicity and the, the the white mask and all that of Halloween. I love that. But the the but I was too young to see that in the cinema. The one in the cinema that really affected me was um, The Ring, the um, the Japanese The Ring, mm-hmm. uh, Hideo Nakata. That really scared the freak out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and then followed the grudge and stuff. Um, I really like uh, David Cronenberg as well, like Videodrome. Mm-hmm. Um because it comes so self-reference, um, and it becomes so carnal, that 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 flesh thing, um, I think is very fascinating. Um, uh, Brian De Palma, I love Brian De Palma, but that's more for the cinematic scope of it, the the, the way that he uh, keeps the camera rolling without stopping it for a long time um, as long as he can and um, the, the montage the sequences without any 
dialogue where he just goes on and on on dress to kill with Michael Caine. Uh, I love that. Um, uh, Sleep Away Camp. <laughs> <I love laughs> That's that a fun too. movie. Yeah. Yeah, one I of like the best the, endings. Yeah, yeah, I love the gimmicks. It reminds me of uh, William Castle. Do you know William Castle? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I I love the uh, gimmick thing, um, the Tinkler uh, homicidal as well. That's one of my favorite. But it's not so much horror. It's, it becomes a bit comical today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I like the um, uh, marketing ship he has. Oh, uh, show, showmanship. Yeah, and and um, what's his name? Uh, John Waters that brings that on. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, who's very fascinated by uh, William Castle about I remember um, he said at one point um, John Waters said um, doing that um, the Pink Flamingo with um, Divine he said I can't afford to have Tom Cruise in my film so instead I have Divine eating uh, <laughs> dog shit yeah. and it's like he's putting it up there yeah you can't afford that so you do that to get people to see it uh-huh. And I think that's that's just genius, <laughs> and I'm still waiting for 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 to be able to get pay someone to do something absurd, uh-huh. so so people will talk. Have you seen that film? But they do that, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Uh, instead of have you seen the new Tom Cruise film? Yeah, and I I, I really like that. That's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the William William Castle stuff. A few times at my local, well, the sort of local theaters in Boston. Yeah, they did. Uh, I forget though. There's one movie where it actually has he had like a, a skeleton go over the crowd, and they did that. Yeah, it's the the, the house on Haunted Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I was at a screening where they they had they did uh, Thirteen Ghosts, original Thirteen Ghosts. Yeah. And you have the uh, special glasses where uh, you look through the one eye and you won't see the ghost, and you look through the other eye and you'll see the ghost. So if you're scared, you don't use the yeah. one lens because you, you'll, you know, you won't see the ghost anymore. Yeah. And uh, it's not really a great movie, but just that, that gimmick of it does make it a very fun experience. Yeah. And I could imagine back then when you're in the cinema. Yeah. yeah it would be great. Because I saw that 13 ghost as well on DVD where it was, uh, you had those glasses, one was blue and one was orange. I right. think and the, the movie is blue and orange, but you can't really enjoy it only for that effect. Um, no, no, yeah, that, it, so it becomes a bit. But uh, the Tinkler, do you know the Tinkler? Yes, yeah. Where they have the the, the one of some of the seats would have uh, like the electric yeah. thing underneath. And seat. it's like one moment in the film uh, where that is happening that the Tinker is loose in the theater and there's buses under the seats and stuff. Um, but that's like one moment. So when you can re- enjoy the film <laughs> for what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, until that moment. Well, you can still enjoy it at that moment because it goes very fast. I really like that. Yeah. I've actually never seen the Tingler, but I know of it. But I, yeah. I should I should watch it. No, but that, that that works on its own. That one yeah. you can see and you know when it goes dark and everyone is saying, Get out of the theater, there's <laughs> a tingler loose. You know what's happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you can still enjoy it, yeah. Yeah. That's but, pretty awesome. But, but homicidal. If you haven't seen homicidal, that is my favorite of his. Okay. That that and I I can't really talk about it without revealing, but there is twist, but I can't. Talk yeah, about it. it's yeah. it's one of those that you can't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the isolation hordes you have online yeah. right now, and so uh, is there any plans to do another one of them? There's no plans, no. But there, there's been talks and stuff, 
we don't know how long this is going to go on, so I don't know if it's right. relevant to make an, a new isolation. Well, with this one, I called Isolation Horrors and um, uh, the Bloody Face Mask because it's connected. The whole, All the films are connected by the story of the Bloody Face Mask. So my intention was the next one could be the Isolation Horrors and, you know... The rats from hell, or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, the murder, the murder hornets, or... yes, it could be anything, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I don't know if it's um, if it's gonna go on now. Uh, a lot That's of countries true, are talking though. about opening up, yeah. Not England is not talking about opening up yet, uh, but um, and and I, it is even though it's, it's a fun thing to do, it's, it's still time consuming. Um, it ends up becoming time consuming. Um, but um, so thinking thinking ahead of the isolation, uh, I can't see why we shouldn't do um, other things that is not right. necessarily bounded yeah. by the isolation. And maybe we can do something on proper cameras where we actually have links. <laughs> Right. Cool as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I should instead of doing another one of you know, the isolation horrors is uh, yeah. working together. I guess in the future for on something. Yeah, yeah, I def- and I, I yeah, I can't see um, uh, one thing is to make a project all together or five, mm-hmm. but everyone like we did before will continue working together. I'm sure um, doing different problem uh, projects. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the anthologies are uh, are in- seems like uh, they've risen over the the last few years. The anthologies, and I think some of it is uh, each of the people can make their own, and then. Um, instead of individual shorts, you guys, you know, people can put them together and either make a feature or like, you know, a longer short. Yeah. Do you like yeah. doing the short films? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm, I, I think you you need to do the films that the idea asked for. Um, yes. and I, I have not yet had an idea that would last 94 minutes. <laughs> right. So, um, and if yeah. I, I, if I tried to make any of the ideas I had into a 94 minutes, it would, seemed forced i think um i yeah but i agree with that because yeah. i think uh, uh something should be as long as it takes to tell a story so if that's mm. you know two minutes or if that's 27 minutes or yeah. you know some strange thing because uh, we've all watched movies where it really has a good idea there's something good in it but it's obviously just padded out to be you know 90 minutes yeah, and, uh, I mean, and, and you watch anything. Well, this way. would have been a lot better if this would have been, you know, fifteen minutes or something. Say again, sorry. Uh, and then we'll watch a movie where, like, it has a great story or a great idea, but it's like this would have been a lot better for just fifteen minutes, you know, as opposed to nine. Yeah, and I think it's mostly that way. Is rarely the other way around. It's That's rarely true. that you see something that is five minutes and say, "Oh, that should be longer." Uh, it might inspire something that could be longer but if you think it's okay yeah it's usually the other way around that is too long Uh, but i think there's such an aesthetic in this short film also because you can be experimental uh you can you can do more things in a short film you can in a five minute film you can do more crazy things i think um because it is short i don't know why but it's it's because it's there for a short period of time if you do a feature film there's more conventions that you sort of have to acknowledge either deny or accept but you sort of have to take them in and and acknowledge that they're there and yeah there's more i don't know what the word but when you do do a short things five minutes you can 
be crazy. I think I think it'd be more experimental. Um, I think because if uh, because you're only watching it for a short period of time, where yeah. if you're like hit with a lot of crazy stuff for 90 minutes, mm. after a while it's no longer like novel. It's no longer like this is something crazy. Yeah, uh, you know you're you get you get uh, numb to it. Yeah, and 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 you need more explanation. Or the, the audience demands more explanation. If you said like a film in 2,000 years in the future in a uh, prison camp. Uh, something, and you do a five-minute film. You don't have to explain so much. You just you the audience accept this is where it takes place and this is what happening. If you do a ninety-minute feature film, then you need to explain how we got here and why why is the world looking like this and stuff. You sort this the audience sort of unconsciously uh, demands more things that you need to explain. If you do a short film, you can set it like. It takes place inside someone's mouth, right? Right for uh-huh. for five minutes. Mm-hmm. If you're a feature film, it's a bit difficult, and you need to explain things, and you need to uh, have a longer story, uh, mm-hmm. which you might not need if you're setting. Yeah, and I really like that about short films. I'm very fascinated about that. Um, the, the things you tell within five minutes. Yeah. Are are your other short films online, or, or how can you view your other short films? Yeah, uh, NikolaiKornum dot com. Um, there's um, music videos, fashion films, uh, campaigns as well. That bit boring, but um, uh, not not so narrative. That's the way. Um, uh, you can see it there. I have blitzbergstudio dot com. This is the studio that uh, we have there. Um, most of it is produced that has a bit more. Um, yeah, Nikolai Kornum on on YouTube as well has has things, and then uh, a lot of the I have done a lot of um, photography and uh, editing for M W Daniels as well, who still doesn't have a YouTube channel uh, where we can see everything. Uh, uh-huh. You have to find him out to find out what that's going. But he yeah. he's um, who is one of the contributors to the anthology he's um, really developing into um, an amazing film uh, maker yeah, I think he's really talented I've had him on the show uh, I think it was last year or so really yeah. talented guy but yeah I didn't know he doesn't have a YouTube he should yeah he's gonna I do notice there are a lot of uh, creative people who aren't necessarily the best at uh, promoting themselves or getting their stuff out there but and you, uh, you know what you they need have to, to do, do that on especially yeah. on an independent level what they need to do is to hire Emma Dark <laughs> there you go exactly she is i i don't know uh what her background is but if she hasn't done it yet uh promoting marketing that's uh she's a natural talent on that that's just amazing um the the uh yeah um the stamina she has in that is amazing um yeah that but that is i can see that as a producer's work that's something that uh, as being a creative it, it can be a bit tiresome and it's it's difficult that thing about um mentioning yourself all the time and talking sure. about yourself it, it's yeah. difficult um but uh but martin Den- <laughs> mw daniels he is releasing his stuff on dvd and i'm like do people still have dvds <laughs> uh-huh. um yeah, you need to at least put something online, and if you want to, people can pay to see it online because that's how you see it today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, video on demand. It's, uh, it's yeah, uh, 
That's what be, I mean, I have a big stack of DVDs here next to me. But, but yeah. what's funny, though, is I'll have movies on you know, Blu-ray or DVD. But sometimes if I know it's like on Netflix or Shudder or something, I'll be like, well, it's easier just to watch it on, on Shudder than it is for me to go find my DVD or yeah. Blu-ray. Which yeah. it seems kind of silly when I think about it. But, I mean, I do that all the time. But it becomes more collective, uh, collectibles right. today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, uh, Blu-ray, yes, I could understand that. But DVD? Right, right. That's like so 90s, isn't it? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, and I also because I, I shot most of the things, I know it's in HD. So it's like, mm-hmm. that would be quality for Blu-ray, please. <laughs> Very yeah. good. All right. Well, I'm going to put the isolation horrors up uh, with this interview so people can watch it up on the website. Fantastic. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And it's very cool. It's, uh, and I'll really enjoy it just to watch it. But I like the uh, idea of, you know, people creating during this time yeah. uh, for their own creativity and uh, to give people uh, something to watch. And, and yeah. you, you know, that we're, we don't have to just, uh, you know, we don't want to go out and do stuff, but we can, we can still do stuff within our house or within yeah. our area. Yes, and 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 this was made with basically no money. So it's it's um uh, it's just having your phone and then the talent. So anyone with talent, go and do it. Make mm-hmm. films like that. Show them, put them up there, so we can all share and see. Yeah, I love yeah. that idea. Very yeah. good. Well, I appreciate being on the show. I really enjoyed this. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and thanks picture. Emma for setting it up again. Uh, we'll thank Emma Dark. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Emma. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I teased her. I said she should be Emma Light now since she's blonde. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, I don't think that has the same ring to it. No, it doesn't really. It's, it's a different genre. That's when she does romantic comedy. We were right. talking about that. We, the next thing we should do is the romantic com the, the isolation romantic comedies. Uh-huh. But it doesn't quite have the same ring. No, to no it. I don't think there's. Yeah. No, I probably wouldn't be as interested. There's nothing against any of you guys. I like all of your work, but I'm not a big yeah. rom-com fan. I always say this because, you know, there's all the, the horror conventions and festivals, but, uh, you know, there aren't rom-com festivals. And I think that that speaks a lot to people's love of horror. Are you sure? Have you investigated? I don't know. I, I always say that. They're, I'm probably wrong, but I like, I like to say it. Yeah. No, you're right. I haven't heard about it. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, you, well, you have to show true. up wearing your 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 pastel colored clothes, and uh, <laughs> you have to come as couples, man and woman. And uh, <laughs> oh, I would like to do the documentary about that. <laughs> that actually, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, even if it's a fake documentary. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're onto something there. That's a good yeah. idea. Everyone's yeah. expresses John Cusack from the '80s, yeah. and be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> all right, very good. But for that, we have to get out. That's very true. Yeah, you can't do that with the phone in the house. No. <laughs> all right, very good. I appreciate this, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.
Oh, no. 